Tonight, we're going to continue in Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to be in verse 24. And, um, and I thought about taking a, a larger chunk, but but this, um, you know, the more I was studying this verse, I, I wanted to, to kind of keep it to itself for this one sermon. And so this is Colossians 1 chapter 24. So I'm going to read that. It says this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Okay, so let's, let's pray. God, my Father, I thank you, Lord, so much. God, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, do with these words what man cannot do alone, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would empower me with your Holy Spirit and that, that your word of truth will will reign supreme in every heart tonight that hears this message it's all in christ's name we pray amen it says now i rejoice in my sufferings for your sake is how that uh that scripture starts and to rejoice in suffering rejoice to rejoice is to experience joy and gladness i mean that's what it is to rejoice and I want you to think back to um, when, when Paul was on the road to Damascus and that he would be uh, blinded. And then, and then you see, um, you know, God tell Ananias that, you know, as, as Paul is making his way to Ananias, he, said, he says to Ananias that he was going to show Paul how much he would have to suffer for his sake. And, and, you know, when you just think about that, that's in Acts 9, 16. For I will show him how much he will suffer for the sake of my name. He's going to show Paul. And, and when you think about, you know, all that Paul had done um, up to that point in his life, murdering Christians, then it would seem like that, that, that Paul, would, Paul would need to suffer for those things. But is that what, what he was saying here? In... In 2 Corinthians 11, uh, towards the end of that chapter, we're going to see Paul list several of these sufferings that he has been through to this point. So, so once that this conversion was made in Acts you know, chapter 9, that, uh, that we're going to see Paul go through uh, just an unbelievable amount. Things that, things that would break so many of us uh, now. And look, look at the things that, I, I'm not even going to read the whole list, but look at some of the things that Paul went through, this suffering he went through. Verse 24 out of 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger everywhere, right? Danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and in thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. Paul's life was just this one big heap of suffering, wasn't it? 
after he started following Jesus Christ. And you would think that when, when God showed him how much he was going to have to suffer, that Paul may have looked at suffering as punishment for the lifetime that he had lived against God. Did Paul look at it as punishment though? Paul did not. Paul knew that he deserved hell. He knew that he deserved hell, but yet he also knew that God had saved him by grace. He had given him what he did not deserve. Paul knew that suffering would come. What about us? Is suffering promised to us? Well, persecution and suffering is promised. It is guaranteed to every believer. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It is a promise, a guarantee. In 1 Peter 4.12, Peter reminds us that we should not be surprised. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. To test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't, don't act like it's, it's something that shouldn't happen. It's, it's not something that should be strange to us. It's something that, that we should know is, is coming upon us as believers. It is a promise, a guarantee. But, but here's the thing. It is not without purpose. There is a purpose behind all of our suffering. Thank, thank God that he tells us this because what, what great comfort it is that we, can, that we can know that there's purpose instead of wandering through life. Why would God allow these things that we know that there is great purpose in them? Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 4, 19. Just, just a few verses after that, that Peter says, don't be surprised when these fiery trials come. Listen to what he says in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. Did y'all catch that? Like our suffering is according to what? God's will. You are suffering according to God's will. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The one that we place our our lives in is faithful. He is good. We, we can be rest assured that he, he means good to his children, not, not bad, not evil. And that, and that means that then, well, if he, if we know that our suffering comes by his will and we know that his will is good towards his children, then that means that suffering must be good. It must be a good thing to suffer. But not all suffering is for Christ. We, we need to make sure that we're clear of that before we move forward. Listen what else it says in this same passage out of 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 14 and 15. Well, 14 through 16. It says this. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Right? You're insulted for the name of Christ. So those things when you're, when you're persecuted or you suffer for him, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
He's reminding us that He's going to be with it, with us through it. Verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. So He's saying this. Yes, suffer for Christ. But, but also we've got to be reminded that we'll also suffer if we're evildoers, won't we? There are consequences to our sin. That type of suffering... That type of suffering, we should not find joy in at all. That type of suffering, we bring upon ourselves. Now, unbelievably, in His mercy and grace, even in that type of suffering, God can still bring discipline and God can still bring blessing to our lives, even in the consequence of our sin. I mean, He is so gracious and merciful. But, Paul, but Peter right here is reminding us, don't, don't pursue those things. That you should pursue a life in Christ, but knowing that a life in Christ will bring suffering and persecution. Verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not to be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And so that, there's, that points to this, that our suffering... As a Christian can do what? It can bring glory to God Almighty. Wow. So, so here's the question of the night. Why rejoice in suffering? Now, now in, the, in, that, in that verse that we started with, it, it's, this verse is talking about suffering, like rejoice in the suffering for the sake of others, like the church. Okay? But before we get to that, I want to talk about the different ways that we can rejoice in suffering um, besides that point that we're going to hit at the end. So, why rejoice in suffering? Or how can we rejoice in suffering? For one, number one, for His sake. God's sake. For His name. For the sake of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 2.19, Peter writes, For this is a gracious thing, did y'all catch that? It is full of grace. What's full of grace? Listen to what it says. When mindful of God, when our mind is on God, one endures sorrow. Did y'all catch that? When our mind is on God, that is when it's a gracious thing to endure sorrow. While suffering unjustly. That means when you don't deserve it. When you've done nothing to bring it upon yourself. When, when, the, when the suffering just comes. When it comes out of nowhere, when it comes maybe undeserved. Now we know as sinners that we, we, do, we would deserve anything that comes our way. But we also know uh, as children of God that, that there will be times where, where we can follow God and we can still have suffering and pain. In verse 20 it says this, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God sees this when you endure. And He is glorified in it. And so, so when we uh, suffer, when, when it is something that has come upon us by the will of God, the purpose of God, and we suffer for it, if we put our mind on God, 
then it can be a thing that glorifies our Creator. In Philippians 1.29, Paul writes, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. That we can suffer for the sake of Christ. So that we're not just called to believe in Him, but we're called to suffer for Him. And that, and that has been granted to us. We've been granted a It's like being, being said that it is a gift to us. This, is a, this suffering that you do is a gift to you. Do we always look at it like that? It's hard to, isn't it? To look at suffering as a gift. Why should we look at it as a gift? Listen, what going back to that, that verse in that, uh, that section in Peter, in 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4, verse 13, it says this, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. There is so much in that verse. But I want to point out two things about this. If we share in the sufferings of Christ... It gives evidence, Miss Glenda, that you're His. If you share in His sufferings, that means you, that, that you are His. You're sharing in what He went through. You are His. He claims you. But something else that we need to understand about, about this is what it says at the very end of that verse. And be glad when His glory is revealed. We are also promised to share in his inheritance. We will experience his glory. First, suffering comes and then glory comes. And I, and I found a few different verses that they kind of show it in that order. But first, Peter five, one is one of those. It says this. And, you know, that's that chapter right after right after where we're at. And so it kind of leads into it. It says this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. That there is a glory that's, that is coming and that we get to share as we shared in his sufferings. And that gives us evidence that we are his, that we, we have the hope that we get to share in the glory that is coming. As Christ is coming. To rule and reign. This is a quote from Joseph's son, a Romanian pastor. <clears throat> he said this. He suffered a great deal in Romania, but he said this. This union with Christ is the most beautiful subject in the Christian life. Do y'all believe that? The union that we have with Christ our bridegroom. It means that I am not a lone fighter here. I am an extension of Jesus Christ. When I was beaten in Romania, he suffered in my body. It is not my suffering. I only had the honor to share his sufferings. Oh man. To have that mindset it is the mindset of the disciples. 
that they could share in the sufferings, that they could rejoice in them? Do you know that that suffering is not just for Christ's sake and God's sake, but suffering is for our sake individually, my sake. In Romans 5, 3 and 4, it says this, we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And it's something how God can take you through those trying times and at the end of it, you know that if you can make it through that, you can make it another day and another day. And you can make it through other things because you know God carried you through that. And then it goes on to say this, and endurance produces character. What is he doing through this suffering? What's he doing to us? He's making us like him. Our suffering produces in us Christ-like minds and Christ-like behaviors. It says in character produces hope. And as we see ourselves grow, that we can test the faith in ourselves and we can say, I am one of His. I can look back on my life and I can see that I didn't fall off. When this trial came, that God carried me through it. And He produced in me to be a better man, a better woman. To be more Christ-like. And He produced in that a hope of glory. That I will one day see my King face to face. In James 1-2, we are reminded, it says to count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet various, meet trials of various kinds. So, so no telling what it's going to look like. It will be the unexpected, won't it? Just when you think you got it figured out. I've got it whipped. And then it's a curveball. The unexpected happens. And many times it is, it is to draw out that ugly nature that we thought that we had tamed. Why? Why does it hurt so bad? Why does sanctification hurt so bad? Because we see how ugly we still are. Why is it so purposeful? Why is it so gracious a thing? Because what if He left it to ourselves? What if He never drew it out? That ugly thing that you thought you had killed. What if He didn't draw it out? What if He left you to your own devices? It would still be in there. Is that a gracious and merciful God to leave you unholy? Or is He gracious and merciful to show you the blemishes that you might go to His throne once again knowing that you're dirty and that you still need Him? Count it all joy. For you know that the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect it's talking about being mature and complete lacking in nothing it is a step-by-step -step process a lifetime process 
that He is taking us through. And He does it through suffering and persecution. Because He knows that we need it. And as I told you at the beginning, that this focus verse that we will go back to, verse 24, let's read it again. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In, in, in my flesh, in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. The other way that that we or that suffering can be used in our lives is for the sake of others, for the sake of the church, the body. So the question is, what does he rejoice in in this verse? Well, he rejoices in his sufferings, rejoices. He finds joy and gladness in it. Why? Well, for here it says for their sake. What is lacking? Now, this one is, is a debated uh, part of this verse. Because it says, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Okay? And what is thrown a lot of people off. It does not mean that Christ's afflictions on the cross were insufficient. People, his afflictions were sufficient. Okay? So that's, that is not what it means. But what I believe it does mean is this. Paul is filling up in his flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, which merely means that he is sharing in the sufferings of Christ, just as what was promised him. Right? It was promised him. And that he would find joy in that. But for the sake in this context of others. Now you think about that. So, so here Christ has been afflicted. And now we get to be afflicted. And in this context, why? For the sake of others. How is it that this will build up the body as they see Paul suffering? How will it build up the body as they see you and I suffering? How will that build up the body of Christ? How is that for the sake of Christ? Let's look at this. In 2 Corinthians 1, 7, it says this. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. We want you to know about these afflictions that we went through. We don't want it to surprise you. We also want you to be built up. Because as you hear, have you ever done this? Have you ever heard of the afflictions that the, that the church is going through today? What does it do to you? What does it do to you when you hear the stories of the saints that have given everything for the, for the sake of the gospel? That they will go to the ends of the earth and they will give their life for, for the sake of the gospel. So that one might be saved. What does it do to you church? What does it do to the bride of Christ. When they hear of those examples. What does it do to this church in Corinthian, In Corinth. 
when they hear of what the saints experienced in Asia, it says for this, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. Have you ever been there? Beyond your strength that we despaired of life itself. They were ready to give up. Verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That the sufferings came and the trial came, that fiery trial came. And what did it do to the believers? They could not rely on themselves. That when, when suffering comes your way, one of, the, one of the main purposes of suffering is to understand, I can't do it. So many times we put so much faith in ourselves knowing that, not, not even understanding that, that literally, we, we'll say this, but do we really believe that our next breath we cannot take without King Jesus? And sometimes he's got to really show us that, doesn't he? He's got to put us through something where we don't just say it, where we really believe that. That I can't take my next breath without you, King Jesus. And what a beautiful scene. As the heavens rejoice when all of our cares are cast on him. When like little children we go to him. For our next crumb. Knowing. That we don't deserve it. But knowing that he's a good father. That will give it anyway. We are. The prodigal son. Who wakes up in that slop. And knows that. that he doesn't deserve to go back. Knows that he has. Forsaken his inheritance. But yet. As he goes back just looking to be a slave. The father opens his arms and receives him as a son. It is God who we rely on. In Philippians 1, maybe this will make it even more clear of what the verses that we were just speaking of talked about. Paul in, in jail when he writes this, he says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's saying, I'm in chains, but what's going on with me? The purpose of it is to advance the gospel. Oh, that I would see my suffering as that. Because, because I don't, I fail so miserably. Paul is in jail and can see the, can see the joy and can rejoice in these sufferings. But listen to what he says. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that it, my imprisonment is for Christ. There it is for others. That, that God is using this suffering of Paul for whose sake? The sake of the church. The sake of those guards. That, that maybe, maybe the, that the elect would believe. Those that God has chosen would believe they would see and believe. And most of the brothers having become what? Confident. What did it do to the brothers in faith? It gave them confidence. Not in themselves. What does it say? It gave them confidence in the Lord. 
by my imprisonment. And what did it do to them? As they heard that Paul was willing to go to jail over what he believed, what did it do to them? They are much more bold to speak the word without fear. It did, it did the opposite of what you think it would do. Throw him in jail. We're going to throw Paul in jail and the rest of the Christians will run and hide. No. It empowered them. They were more bold to speak the word in truth. They were willing to suffer because Paul was willing to suffer. Because Paul could rejoice. It says this, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for what? He, he was put in those chains, he says, for the defense of the gospel. What is your suffering for? It is for the defense of the gospel. It is for the proclamation of the gospel. That you preach it through your suffering. In verse 21, I'm going to skip ahead. It says this, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. Paul knows that he might die here. And, and he's really struggling with the fact that, that he, he really believes that he may want to die here. But he's struggling whether he really wants to live or wants to die. And listen to what he says next. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. That would be far better for, for Paul, wouldn't it? Have you ever in your suffering just been like, God, take me so that I can be with you. I'm tired of this land. But he obviously didn't. You're sitting here tonight. I'm standing here tonight. He didn't. He had other plans for us. But listen to what Paul says here. Paul knew what was better going to be better for him. But listen to what he says. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this. He's convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul is left in his sufferings for the church, for other people's sake, that they may see and they may grow bold and they may grow in perseverance and they may grow in endurance and they... And they may grow in character and they may grow in hope. And that that hope would spread through the proclamation of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 4.8, this is what we need to be reminded, church. That as we go through these fiery trials, we need to be reminded this. We are afflicted in every way. You feel it, don't you? But not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but you are not forsaken, church. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We are afflicted with Him. And your life should show the marks of Him. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Martyrs throughout the centuries for Christ. 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul's action showed it too. If you'll remember Acts 16, Paul and Silas in jail in the middle of the night. Paul wasn't just one to, to speak that game of rejoicing in the middle of trials. He wasn't one just to say it. What do we see Paul and Silas do in the middle of the night in prison? They are praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I find that interesting because the prisoners, it doesn't say that they were telling them to shut up, which you would think the prisoners in the middle of the night might, might want a little rest and might want Paul and Silas to be quiet and, and, and what might happen to them all if the guards came and Paul and Silas were singing hymns, all of them might, might end up getting in trouble. You would think that those prisoners might have told them to shut up, but we don't see that. It just says they were listening to them. People are listening to us in our suffering. Y'all know that? As we go throughout our lives, people are watching. They're watching how we handle it. Our kids are watching us. Our neighbors are watching us. Our coworkers. Watch, they're watching us. Our family is watching us. Our church family is watching us. But then it says this. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now that, that happened literally. But I also believe that spiritually that happens to us when we, when we start to praise God in the midst of our suffering and pain. That our... Our bonds are unfastened, so to speak. When Peter was told not to preach anymore in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, listen to the words here that it uses that I think are so important. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Wow. They counted it worthy. Do we count it worthy that we could suffer for his name? Every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. More bold. More bold. I think of uh, the emotions I felt when um, I shared the story of Jim Elliott not too long ago. Y'all know the story of Jim Elliott, the one that would give his life. Um, I, I forget even the name of the, what was the group, Tony? The, the Morani. Morani? <laughs> Not Morani, what is it? Morani people. And, uh, you know, who were unreached people group. And, and, and you know, that there was uh, these men that went to preach to them and, and they were killed. They, this tribe, tribe, you know, speared them to death. And um, it was such a sad thing to think about and, and that they left these wives and children. But 
uh, Elizabeth Elliott, I think it is, was uh, the wife of Jim Elliott, and she refused to give up. And she continued to try to make contact with that group that killed her husband. And, uh, and she did make contact, and she became friends with them. And it was because of that friendship that that tribe was won over to Christ, including the man who had killed her husband. And, was, and, and he ended up really becoming a part of her family and just an amazing uh, turn of events. And, and I think about the emotions, you know, I saw the emotions on the faces of the men that I shared that story with not long ago that most of them had never heard the story. And it reminded me of the emotions that I, that I felt the first time that I heard the story. And, um, and I think about all these scriptures that, we're, that we've looked at tonight. This great suffering that Jim Elliott was willing to go through along with his companions. This great suffering that Elizabeth Elliott was having to deal with at the loss of her husband. But yet, through that suffering, she thought it was worthy. It was worth it. That there was purpose in it. The world doesn't look at suffering as that it has purpose. The world is, is um, confused and floundering around, struggling with the idea. It's why many people turn away from God altogether. That they, 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 they become atheists is, is, is the reason why they're struggling with that question of why does God allow all this? It's the reason why so, so many people uh, turn to um, the idea that, of deism, that God just set it all in motion and now he just watches. It is, is, the, is the, um, the thing that leads to so many of, of these other false religions and false ideas. This, this one question. But listen, church, you have the answer. We have the answer to, to one of life's hardest questions for people. Why does God allow suffering? And you have the answer. Will you share it? And you know one of the, one of the ways that, that, uh, that you can share it in the best way, I believe, is how you, how you act in your suffering in front of the world. For you get to show the world just a little piece of what Christ looked like in his suffering. You get to share in his suffering. In Romans 8.18 it says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Put your hope in that. Think on your sufferings tonight. Can y'all do that for me right now? I want y'all to think of something that you've either been through or that you're going through that's been painful to you. I mean, really, can we do this tonight? They are not shared with Christ if they're a result of your sin. However, there is much that occurs that God ordains because you are His. And in this, we should rejoice. That thing that you're thinking about, can you rejoice in it? Can you praise God over it tonight? 
These sufferings that we go through have great purpose. To glorify God. To produce in you sanctification. That you might look more like Christ. And to fulfill this great mission that God has given us on this planet. To be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Our suffering has all those purposes. They should get a taste. The people that see us going through this suffering should get a taste of what those around Jesus Christ experienced. You know, they should get a taste of it. A glimpse is what they should see of what Jesus Christ, how he acted. That we should act that way. They should get a taste of what it was like for those. Can you imagine this scene? For what it was like for those who saw the suffering Christ, the Messiah on, on Calvary. And when he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. In the midst of his suffering, that he was thinking of others. Wow. That's what they should see in us. That's what they should see in us. Um, I'm going to pray. And if I can have, have, a, have our musicians make their way up. And we're going to close tonight. If you, um, if you need to pray about anything, please come. Um, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have not repented of your sins and believed in this true gospel, please come and let us reason together. Let's pray. God, my Father, I thank you, Lord, so much for your word of truth. God, I pray, Lord, that, that I would be a better example, Father, that you would uh, produce in me through this suffering, God, that you, know, that you would produce in me a heart that can rejoice, Father, that can find great joy in the midst of my suffering. God, I pray, Lord, that you would produce in this church, Father, through the sufferings that we go through, through the trials, the fiery trials, Father, we wouldn't be surprised by them. But, God, that you would use them to produce in us steadfastness, Father. That you would use it to, to produce character and hope, God. And, and to know that, that when we share in, in sufferings with you, Father, that it means that we are yours. And that, that when we share in those sufferings, we know that there is great glory to be revealed to your saints. God, I thank you so much. You are, you are a good Father. We love you so much. We thank you so much for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary. The blood that was spilled to atone for our sins. The resurrection from the grave to defeat death that would give us eternal life. Our hope is only in, only in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's all in Christ's name we pray. Amen.